Hello, welcome to Life Coaching on the Move. I'm your host, Dawn Fisk. This is the podcast that shakes things up a little bit, um, that gets you thinking. Um, If you've never listened to this, this is me. I'm a life coach and have been for the last 19 years and a trainer and a... um, guest speaker, all of that. What I do on this podcast is just chat. I don't have a script. I haven't got any notes. I don't edit it. Uh, You just hear me chatting about a particular subject and there are 98 previous episodes. Next week is my 100th episode birthday. (laughs) I can't believe I've been doing it for 100 weeks. Um, So we talk about all sorts of subjects ranging from confidence to stress to goal setting and success and achievement and um, breaking habits and good mental talk and how to overcome negative talk, all of those sorts of things. So I just chat about a given subject. This week, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. So I'm talking about breaking the pattern if we're struggling with a mental health issue or struggling with our well-being, breaking that pattern, how we can do something about it and drawing on my own experiences um, down the years of various episodes of struggles that I've had, life struggles that have caused me some difficulties and how I turned the corner on each of those. Um, and I hope that it's helpful for you or a friend. If it makes you think of someone that you're worried about, then please do let them know about it and share it or cut and paste a link to it or put it on your social media. It is a mental health awareness week, so even if you just want to put this link up as your contribution, it may be exactly what one of your friends needs right now. Um, I hope so. I really, really hope so. And it's good that we're talking about this um, and good that we're de-stigmatizing it because we're all human and it can affect us at any point just as physical ailments can affect us at any point. It doesn't make us weak, it makes us human. And we go in and get a little bit of help and um, we follow the prescription and we get better. It's exactly the same with mental health. We're, it can hit any one of us at any point um, and we need to find ways to help it. Um, and help each other. So listen to this episode. I hope it's helpful. Uh, Please do look at the website. There's some workshops coming up. One starts in 10 days. Um, So don't miss out on that one. Uh, It's a good one. And I've changed it this time to be on a Saturday morning because some people were struggling with working late or putting children to bed. So we're going for the Saturday morning approach on this one. So don't miss out. It's a tiny group to make it safe and friendly because you need some confidence to sign up Um, but if it's too large it will put people off it'll be too scary so it's a small group and the numbers go quickly anyway www.milestone-coaching.co.uk let's crack on now uh, to this week's episode i hope it's helpful Today we're talking about good mental health, good mental well-being, as opposed to struggling with poor mental health. This week it is Mental Health Awareness Week, so you've probably already heard um, talk of this on the radio, on the news. Um, It's good that it is being raised and discussed and, you know, we're getting more and more comfortable with accepting it and de-stigmatising it. Um, 
So I thought I wouldn't be a good coach if I didn't tackle this subject this week. So here we are. Um, And actually, I love this quote. I thought I would start with a quote. Sometimes I finish with a quote. Uh, But this one sort of sums up what I feel. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. And I think, you know, we've all been through a tough time, haven't we, with COVID lately um, and the economy and the health worries and the fears and the uncertainties and the missing our family and everything that's been going on. Alcohol use has been going up and, and, and mental health issues have been going up and teenagers have been struggling, etc. So it is true, isn't it? Tough times don't last nothing lasts forever um but tough people do and this is what i would love if nothing else from today that you take that we need to be tough we need to believe in ourselves and learn resilience strategies learn to believe in our inner strength and if we haven't got that we need to develop it a little bit like a muscle we need to get stronger at coping with things um, not tell ourselves that we're a wreck and we're rubbish and we're this and we're that and put ourselves down, but instead see where our strengths are, see what we've coped with in the past, how we've done it, and draw on that bank of inner resilience. Um, so also, that, that was one thing, I wasn't planning to say that actually, the, the, the one thing I was planning to say though, when I reflect back on the different times I've had in my life, where I've struggled with various elements of mental health uh, struggles. Now, I think mental health is just like physical health. We're all human. And uh, we all have, at times, uh, mild ailments, physical ailments that we may be able to sort out ourselves. We may be able to put some ointment on it or... Uh, get some over-the-counter treatment for it or adjust our diet and nutrition for it or, you know, whatever it is. Equally, we may well have periods of time where we have quite um, quite difficult physical health issues and we need to go to an expert. Uh, we, we can't do an ultrasound on ourselves. We can't do blood tests on ourselves. We can't um, often diagnose ourselves. So we go and seek medical help. Um, you know, if we've got very sore skin and it's cracking and sore and itchy, we need to go and get some help for eczema. If we're struggling to breathe and things like that, um, we need to go and get help for asthma and we take whatever they suggest. Now, it may be a combination of over-the-counter things or adjust our nutrition for the eczema or adjust our soap powder, get some more sun, etc., etc., um, as well as take this ointment or this prescription. It may be with the asthma that we um, try and avoid uh, dust mites or things like that or and smoky environments and um, environmental things and de-stress as well, minimise our stress for ourselves. It may be foods that we react with and we need perhaps an inhaler. So we need whatever the expert prescribes for us. Or if we've got digestive problems and gastritis and things like that, we might need some uh, some omeprazole to help us. But we may also need to tweak our nutrition and reduce our stress and things like that. 
So it can be a combination of treatments, but the, depending on the severity, it may well be that we need to go and seek help, get a proper diagnosis, get a proper prescription, get proper treatment. And that's all all right. We're fine with that, aren't we? We're used to that. We accept that. We don't see ourselves as weak around that. We don't see ourselves as a failure. We see it as part of life and actually it makes us stronger, it makes us better, it gets us on top of our asthma or our eczema or whatever it is, our illness, and we can carry on living a better, healthier life and have an extended length of life. We take antibiotics for an infection, we live longer. We didn't used to have antibiotics, we had a much shorter lifespan if we got um you know, cut our finger, got some bacteria in it and went septic. If we didn't get antibiotics years and years ago, we might have died from that cut finger. Now we don't. So um, so we have stronger lives, better lives, stronger health, better health and more extended health and life um, longevity as a result. And yet mental health is part of that. Uh, We're a big picture. Mind and body are connected. We've talked in the past about how our mind can affect our body, how our mind and our belief system, i.e. placebo, if people in drug trials believe they're getting a new treatment and it could be helping their illness or their symptoms or their pain, then in every drug trial that they're there is carried out, there is always a placebo effect found. In the uh, control group that's receiving sugar treatments or whatever it is, no treatments, they still find around about, generally, around about 30% placebo effects, sometimes higher, 40-50%, sometimes as high as 70% placebo effect. That's a very real finding with real relief in symptoms or reduction in pain or increased mobility or whatever it is. It's very real. And yet they hadn't had the treatment in the first place. And this is because if the brain believes it's going to get better, it starts to help aid that improvement and it starts to heal the body. There's loads and loads and loads of science and research to back up the effect of the power of belief, both in sports and athletics and um, health. So um, the mind and body are one thing. So if if our health is can be positively impacted upon by a good mindset, then we need also to realise that our mental health is part of that big picture, is equally as important and is equally as normal for us humans to be at risk of some health mental health issues at some point in our life. It doesn't matter what class we are or um, ethnicity that we are or um, career or how, you know, it doesn't matter, or age, it doesn't take any of those factors into account. Mental health issues can affect any one of us at any time because we're human. Um, And we are, it's not that we are weak, we've got to get rid of that belief. It is not a sign of weakness. Uh, just as getting a, a tummy upset or something is not a sign of weakness or a physical ailment. It says nothing about us as people. It's just a physical ailment that we have acquired or caught or developed along the way. Same is true of mental health issues. If so, back to my phrase about it's not, uh, you know, tough times 
don't last forever. Um, tough times don't last. Tough people do. And I believe the tough people are the ones that do something about it. They they seek help in some way. And it could be self-help. They're doing things to help themselves, a bit like the asthmatic or the person with eczema or whatever that might tweak their nutrition or cheat tweak their washing powder or whatever to help and facilitate their improvement. Tough people do that with their mental health. But it may also be that it gets to a point where they need to go to a specialist or um, an expert and seek help. Same true with mental health. There may come a point where it is good and strong. It's strength that indicates that someone's prepared to open up about how they're feeling, accept how they're feeling, talk about it and seek help, whether it's from a best friend or a professional, a coach, a counsellor, a doctor, um, a charity, support group, people in struggling with similar feelings, similar circumstances, whatever it is, they are the strong ones that reach out and you know, the other phrase, tough times call for tougher decisions. They're hard. Sometimes it's hard to talk about these things and admit that you're struggling. But that's the turning point. When you do do that, it can only now get better. Um, so I was thinking this morning when, you know, one of the tough times that I had, I remember, I may or may not have mentioned this on the podcast, was uh, when I became a new second mum. So when the second baby arrived, I had a toddler, one that woke very early. So he was an early riser at 5.15 every morning, slept well through the night, but always woke at 5.15. That was just the way he was. It didn't matter if I put him to bed later. He would still wake up at the same time, but just be grumpy all day. <laughs> um so uh, the new baby arrived and he screamed virtually from the moment he was born for about three and a half years. He didn't sleep through the night for three and a half years. Um, and to say that I was exhausted, depleted, felt a failure, felt desperate, felt alone, very down, shattered, just, I guess, at my wit's end, um, it was horrendous. I just remember I didn't even really feel on this planet I was existing and just trudging through treacle. Just every day was a grind. Just getting through every day felt like a bit of an achievement. Um, he, he literally screamed virtually from the moment he was born. I remember when I, the midwife looked after him while I went to shower and I could hear him screaming down the corridor and that pretty much set out the stall for the next few years. Um, as it transpired, and unbeknown to us for a good while, good, good while, he was born <clears throat> so quickly that um, I think his ribs became sort of compressed in on his abdomen. Um, and so eating and digesting and emptying his nappy or filling his nappy, all of that, any bowel, stomach um, involvement, caused him a great deal of pain. So he screamed a lot of the time. Um, particularly, he would scream um, before food, straight after food, um, having filling his nappy. He would scream the whole time he was ever in a car seat. So every single journey, he would scream. Uh, he would scream in his cot. Um, it 
felt or we found accidentally that the times he wouldn't scream, it seemed was when he was with me. But actually, in hindsight, when he, he the times he didn't scream were when he was against me in a front carrying papoose kind of uh, mother care type carrying device for babies so he was against me I would walk around I actually in the end got to the point where I would just walk around with him like that most of the day and he would sleep soundly and not cry or be just looking around or whatever and I learned to do most things bar showering really with him in that most of the time um and he didn't scream I thought that was because he was a clingy baby but babies aren't born clingy um what I didn't realise until we got him, uh, A, I sought professional help and got him checked and diagnosed and was told that it was his ribs and he would grow out of it as he developed, it would get better, which it did. So A, I now understood. So that's the first time I sought help um, and accidentally had found a coping strategy of him being in one of these carrying things actually relieved his symptoms because he was upright and his ribs seemed to be freer on his stomach and it he wasn't in pain the other place that I found that he would um, not scream and would be able to sleep it, we accidentally found through sheer desperation and exhaustion that he would sleep and be um calmer and at peace when he was led on his side against me sort of feeding all night I became his human dummy really so I broke all my rules uh, everything you're told not to do of have them sleeping in your bed all of that we did because I was I had to do I had to get some sleep to be able to cope with a toddler through the day and a baby so he was sleeping in with me and but what I didn't realize was it wasn't because he was with me it was because he was on his side and of course you're told as a mum to put them on your back I think was it on my back or the front I can't remember whatever it was then 16 years ago it certainly wasn't the side so whatever position it was I think it was the back um he would scream because he was in pain. So I found coping strategies to just keep me sane and keep us through. But of course, um, by the time we had him diagnosed and he grew a little bit and developed and grew out of it, we had grown into really bad habits, uh, bad coping strategies, learned behaviours, and it carried on and it carried on. And of course, as he got older and older, and then he, you know, he was he could walk in a toddle and uh, he could call out and things like that. I would just continue it just to get some sleep. I was exhausted. And three and a half years down the line, he was still calling out at night and crying and waking and not, he hadn't broken that sleep pattern. He would scream in his cot and call for me or whatever. And by then he was in a bed, so he'd get out of bed and come in and crying and four or five times a night. It would just be horrendous. And I was at my wit's end. And I remember the turning point was at school in the playground, dropping off a preschool, and I must have looked like death warmed up. I can't remember whether I was upset or what. But anyway, one of the mums was talking to me and she said she would come round and chat with me and have a cup of tea and find out if she could help. She was a health visitor. She wasn't my health visitor. She wasn't in my surgery. Uh, but she said she would come round as a friend and a mum 
she wasn't a close friend. She was just one of the mums in the playground that I happened to start chatting to. Uh, we had never done cups of tea at each other's houses or anything like that before. But thank the Lord, she was sent a bit like an angel, really. Um, I was so grateful. She came round and we sat and chatted and talked it all through. And I admitted what was going on and how horrendous it was and how I was just just existing it was impacting on our whole family it was impacting on my firstborn toddler because he wasn't getting the best out of me and the secondborn because I was just dead on my feet through the day grumpy not coping at all well it was affecting our you know our whole family dynamic our relationship uh, mine and Neil's relationship it just awful at the same time throughout that we'd also been um, you know, I'd been looking after or, or there with my mum because she was fighting cancer. She'd been through a stem cell transplant while he was a baby. And um, of course, she couldn't help out, never have him and give me a break and let me sleep because she was going through her own time. And in fact, we lost her through that time as well. And my dad's dementia then worsened significantly when she went. So as a, a extended wider family, we had our issues too. And luckily, the health visitor friend gave me advice. She was an expert, so she coached me or told me what I needed to do, how to break the pattern. Of course, as I've already said in previous podcasts, if we do, if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, we're only ever going to get the same outcome. She could see from the outside looking in and with her expert knowledge, and she'd seen this many times before, that we needed to break this pattern. We were in a really bad cycle, a pattern. We needed to break it. I needed to do something different to get a different outcome and to solve this. And she gave guidance on the fact that, right, okay, decide you're going to do this. Don't even attempt to get any sleep. Write the night off. Plan the next day to sleep. Get your husband to take the children off for the day, let you sleep and catch up because you will get no sleep tonight. Just write it off. Um, and all you have to do is just keep taking him back, taking him back, taking him back, not looking him in the eye, not getting drawn into any kind of conversation, not putting the lights on or anything like that. Just become a boring robot and repeat the same monotone voiced phrase, which she got me to choose what that was going to be. What do I normally say to him? And I said, I usually in somewhere in amongst all of the goings on in the night, say, night, night, I love you. So that became my phrase. I just had to keep only saying that. Nothing else. Take him back into bed, night, night, I love you. Take him back into bed, night, night, I love you. And keep repeat, repeat, repeat. And I must have done it around, I don't know, 70 times through the night. And on her uh, advice, or um, her warnings, she said it would be horrendous, it was, but that the second night would be nowhere near as, as horrendous and the third would be nowhere near again, it would get better and better. She was absolutely right. The second night, maybe only 30 times. The third night, none. He slept through, I had my first full night's sleep. She cracked it. It took only those few nights, but we had to break the pattern. So what I'm trying to say here today in today's podcast is we can any one of us get mental health issues. I was very low, very desperate, very um, 
depressed, I guess. I don't think it was postnatal depression. It was depression through exhaustion and sleep deprivation and just a feeling of a complete and total failure as a parent, a mother. Um, hopeless. I couldn't see any daylight at the end of the tunnel. It was a despair. She, by opening up and talking about how I felt, talking about what was happening, acknowledging it, hearing myself say it and turning to somebody who knew what to do and get expert help, we solved it. So that was my first um, experience of having to admit to something and getting their input and changing it. Uh, the other one, which I may have mentioned previously, was when I was very stressed. Then a few years later, um, one of the carers for my dad, as his dementia um, worsened and he couldn't cook for himself because he would set the cooker on fire and things like that. We have to take it in turns, the sisters, to go in and cook his lunch, go and do his supermarket shopping, do his washing, do his cleaning, do everything for him, really. Um, bath. Um, take him for haircuts, dentist, hospital appointments, the lot. So we took it in turns. We had a shift pattern. We had a book that we'd write in what we'd done and what needed to be done, who was going to do that day, who was going to do this day. Also, at the same time, running my own home, my own business with clients, my own marketing, my own invoicing and admin and everything, working with clients, my own children, <laughs> uh, running my own home and family and husband and dog. <laughs> Don't forget the dog. Um, so I'm a type A personality. I'm always on the go, rarely at that time would relax or chill out or anything. I would just go, go, go from the moment my feet hit the floor in the morning till the moment I would drop at night, I'd be on the go. So my stress, I think I was suffering from stress, um, you know, just by sheer overload of everything, juggling so many plates in the air, school pickups, remembering this birthday present for this party and they needed this costume for this show and all, all those sorts of things when they're that sort of age. What PA kit they needed today, what pat lunch they needed, so on and so forth. You're trying to remember so many things. And my life was no different to so many other people's. Um, but I was never stopping. I was never relaxing. I was never having me time. I was never chilling out, which, as you know, I firmly and passionately now believe is a must. Isn't selfish. It is selfless because it means you're looking after you and can then give out to all of those things and people that need from you because you can't pour from an empty jug. But I didn't take my own advice at that time and I went uh, 100 miles an hour 24-7. And as some of you may know from previous podcasts, I fell very critically ill and suddenly with no warning um, and ended up in hospital in London, in a specialist hospital in intensive care, not expected to pull through the night. Luckily, I did. Uh, phenomenal care. Um, but that was a real knock on the door for me. That was a real wake-up call that you cannot keep going at that rate. And now I'm a passionate believer in stress management. Um, so, and I talk about that and I do, um, I've got an online advanced program on stress management that is 
um, on offer on the website for anybody if they relate to that. I do stress workshops on Zoom and things as well, shorter ones. And I often talk one-to-one with coaching clients about reducing their stress because it does genuinely impact on our health, our well-being, our sleep, our immune system, everything. I learned a real harsh harsh, painful lesson. And I've seen it with client after client. Something will happen. Something will happen to stop you going at that rate of knots. I know we need to at times and we can at times because we've got a great stress system in our body, fight or flight. We're made for some stress, but we're not made for long-term stress. That's when it affects us, when it goes on and on and on and on and on. And we never relieve that stress or manage that stress reduce it we have to get it back down to level resting point um, to function and to have good immune system and good sleep and all of that is so important so I learned that and I used all of my own tools that I'd used with clients on myself during that time once the doctors had started to turn me around medically and respond and to improve I started to also mentally work with them and I talk about that in one of the previous episodes um, about how I mentally started working with the power of visualization the power of uh, gratitude the power of um, positive mental approach um, stress management all of the tools that I use Um, I started using on myself, which I'd never really properly ever done. I didn't walk the talk. Is that the right way around that phrase? Anyway, but I do and did as a result of that. Um, So again, that was a time where I needed expert help. I definitely needed expert consultancy there uh, for a long, long time in the hospital. Um, But afterwards, I also needed all the coaching strategies um, that I was lucky enough to to know and be trained in. As a result of that, and uh, coupled with my own son's uh, issues and surgeries at Great Ormond Street and the anxiety as a mum of watching your child go through the anaesthetic room and you sitting there waiting for the operation sat by yourself and waiting to be called and is everything all right and I've I have discussed that before and the anxiety and the, the stress of all of that and the horror of watching him go through what he had to go through seven times seven different surgeries and sleeping alongside him in the hospital in a little put up bed with them in uh, Great Ormond Street and it's just incredibly anxiety provoking um terrifying actually is probably the better word and you want to take it all away as a parent you don't want your child to have to go through that you you wish it were you you don't want to worry about them anymore and and as a result of all of those things I started to really struggle with my own anxiety um and have insomnia and I'd be awake for hours at night and thinking the worst and going to some real dark places in my head. I would have proper panics, my heart would be racing, I didn't think I could swallow, I didn't think I could breathe. Um, and so I, my anxiety, I went through a time where my anxiety was really crippling, horrible. I used to dread bedtimes, I used to hate the bedroom. Um, so I just 
just the anxiety once that sets in that's really actually a horrible downward spiral it's very very hard to get on top of uh, because you start getting anxious about suffering from anxiety so I'd get anxious before bed thinking please don't let me have another bad night and I'd be I'd go to bed tense and stressed dreading another bad night I would just say that I do absolutely wholeheartedly believe that um, my hormones made that worse and perimenopausal or, or menopause definitely affected my sleep definitely made uh, the insomnia so bad um, and the anxiety all of that I think was definitely not helped by the menopause um, um, and for me I I actually made the decision, weighed up all the risks, and I decided that for me, HRT patches was a way forward because of how much I was... It it was awful. The hot sweats, the night sweats, the insomnia, the anxiety, the grumpiness, the just everything was horrible. So I made that decision for me. And a lot of those things were hugely improved. But so I, A, again, I sought medical help or I sought professional help. So every time I've had a patch in my life of mental health struggles, um, I realise on reflection, the turning point has been when I've accepted it, I've struggled for a long time, it's got bad then I've realized I need to do something about this I've realized I've needed to break the pattern I need to talk about it accept it and find some expert help and that's been different experts according to the whether it was the stress time the um the the depression time and the sleeplessness and um with the baby or whether it was the anxiety um and the turning point for that so the HRT definitely helped but also the turning point was when I was talking to my brother-in-law who's a a burly male macho can't get much more macho than him having a conversation with him once so it was a spontaneous I don't know where it came from but he started to talk about his own anxiety um, and so I realised, well, it's okay then. So I shared mine. And we started to share uh, what, what thoughts we have, what we say in our head and how horrible it is and the symptoms we get. And we shared experiences. And I realised, God, if he's a, you know, a builder and a macho, et cetera, et cetera, it's all all right and it's okay and it's acceptable. I'm not judging him or anything like that. I don't, you know, and he's not judging me, putting me down, thinking I'm paranoid or neurotic or anything and then I started to talk more openly about it and admit it and talk to others about how I was feeling and accepting that many others feel the same and then I started reading around it researching it went to some some workshops webinars um, finding out much much more about it um, talked to the doctor about it and so on and I started to get on top of it myself through all the, the stuff I started to learn from the experts and the research and tried different strategies, talked about it um, and realised I, again, the tough people, realised I had to be tough and do something about this. Do things myself, apply strategies such as not giving in at night, distractions, um, talking about it, um, 
calming myself down, accepting it wasn't me, it was my brain trying to feed me those. So I disassociated from those thoughts. I would calm them down. I wouldn't give in to them. I started to try uh, breathing techniques. I did lots of breath work, uh, relaxation work, started yoga, um, free on YouTube, did more exercise to de-stress. All of those things, everything from buying new pillows, I, I uh, bathing in salt, Epsom salts, I threw everything at it. And I can say now that I sleep much, much better. I'm much more in control of my anxiety and my anxious thoughts. Doesn't mean to say I don't get blips and I get stressed and anxious about things. I worry about COVID. I worried about, um, you know, what if we get COVID? What if... Uh, the anxiety started to try and cre- it tried to creep in, but I knew that I could manage it and keep it in check and not feed it and not entertain it, not let it in too much and get a hold of me. I learned enough strategies where I could just manage it and it not manage me. That was the turning point. I, I know I can manage it myself now. And if it does get really bad, I know I will go and get some help. So if you are struggling with any kind of mental health issues or any you're going through a tough time um, and you're struggling, A, it is a sign of strength to talk about it, admit it, acknowledge it, allow it, accept it. You are normal. You are human. It's okay. It's not a weakness. It's perfectly normal part of being a human being. Um, if there's any weakness at all, when I look back on my life, it was struggling for too long. I shouldn't have struggled for three and a half years. I should have asked for help before then. I should have asked when he was maybe a year. Well, most two years, not three and a half. I could have not wasted and lost that time. I lost a few years of my life. I lost me in that time. I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, so my weakness was not asking for help sooner. I should and could have done something about that much sooner on reflection. At the time, you don't see that. So you're in a downward spiral. Um, so ask for help. Talk to, talk to people. Tell them how you're feeling. Reach out. Know that what you're doing is something to help yourself. Know what you're doing is a sign of strength. The moment I reached out, whether it was to my brother-in-law and talked there, that was the turning point. That day, it all turned for me because I had admitted it. I'd heard it myself say it out loud. The day I fell ill and ended up in hospital was the turning point. I was in professionals' hands now, and now I could do something with them about it. Um, the day I talked to the the mum in the school was the turning point. So don't struggle with this anymore by yourself. Don't keep it in. Talk to somebody. There are so many places you can go. You can drop me an email and we could work together. You could phone the Samaritans. You could phone Mind. Even today on the the radio, I heard them saying on the BBC website, there is, um, you can click on it on the BBC website and there is a, a tab where they've got a whole list of different contacts um, and addresses and names and numbers of help out there. Or your doctor, 
or your friend. You just reach out. There's all sorts of charities. There's all sorts of support groups. Just know that you are not alone. And this week, with everybody talking about it, it's going to make it even more safe and less stigmatized. It shouldn't be stigmatized. You wouldn't hold back talking about a kidney illness or your liver's playing up or something like that, um, or your lungs or your breathing or, or anything. You know, uh, we go and get help. If our eyes are playing up, we go and see an optician. If we've got a, a toothache, we go and see a dentist. So go and get help and it will be the turning point. Before you know it, you will get some strategies or some help that you need. The other thing to remember as well is journaling has been found to be as effective as talking therapies because you're getting it out and you're recording it. You're getting it out onto paper. There's something about that. And you'll begin to see trends and patterns of your written word. Oh, so when I don't sleep, then I feel this way. And when I don't eat very well, I feel that way. And you'll begin to see trends and possible triggers as well. So add in some journaling there. Add in some yoga for de-stress. Add in some exercise for de-stress and better health. Um, and connect with other people. That's always the answer. It's not struggling by yourself. It's just being with other people, whether it's depression or stress or anxiety, other uh, just other people's companies. And now that COVID is, you know, we, we, we're coming out, many of us are coming out the other side of the lockdowns and things like that. Reach out. And I was only saying to a friend this morning, when we're struggling, we go inward. We go inward, introspective, sort of, it's all absorbing. Our brain takes over, our head takes over. It feeds us lots of negative talk. And we stop doing the things. We stop the yoga. We stop the exercise. We don't go out and meet our friends. And that is actually the worst thing we can do. It's the thing we feel like doing. And um, the irony is, though, if we push through that and make ourselves not give in to that and go out and meet a friend and talk and have company, have contact, make ourselves do that exercise, make ourselves eat better, push through it and be strong and make that tough decision. I've got to get a grip on this. I know I don't feel like exercising and I know I don't feel like accepting that invitation and meeting my mate. I'm going to make myself do it, you actually ironically feel a lot better afterwards. And once you start to feel a lot better, you're on an upward spiral. So the antidote to this horrible feeling that sometimes we get is to do exactly the opposite of what we believe we feel like doing because of the the way our mindset, our thoughts, the, the place we find ourselves. If we can do the opposite, make ourselves go outside, make ourselves talk, make ourselves connect and chat, we will feel better sooner. It's the tough people that come through quicker. It's those sorts of tough strategies, pushing ourselves and making ourselves. That's the toughness. That's the strength. We will feel better as a result. Um, so take care, everybody. Have a good week. Um, I hope that's really, really helped. If this makes you think of a friend or a loved one who you feel is struggling, please cut and paste a link to this and send it to them. Um, 
they may not thank you openly for it because they may not want to admit it, but it may be exactly what they need right now. It may then open the door for them to talk to you about it. Thank you so much for that. And then uh, I've been wanting to tell you, etc., etc. You may then have a cup of tea and talk about it and it's out in the open. And that was the turning point for them. You just don't know. So, or just put it on your social media and say, if anybody, any of my friends are struggling, you know, talk to me, you, talk to you, but listen to a podcast. There is, if they don't want to listen to this, I'm sure there will be lots and lots of others out there this week. Certainly the news and the BBC are jumping on this, luckily. Um, And there are all sorts of things being put on the TV about it. So hopefully... Uh, it could be the turning point that many need. So have a really good week. Do feel free to drop me an email or tell your friends to dawn at milestone-coaching.co.uk or visit the website or direct them to visit the website www.milestone-coaching.co.uk where there is all sorts of things, including that stress management um, e-learning programme. Uh, and some various other workshops, some life skills workshops. Actually, I'm glad I've remembered there is a life skills workshop, seven-week programme on Zoom starting in 10 days' time. It's on a Saturday at this time. Normally, I do them in the evenings, but I'm trying a Saturday for people who can't make the evenings because of putting children to bed and things like that. So it's a Saturday morning. If you want to have a look at that and sign up, I keep the groups tiny. There are limited spaces because I want it to be friendly and safe. And because it's a confidence and life skills course, which is quite, um, you know, it, it takes confidence to join it, a little bit of confidence to join it. I don't want it to be scary and overwhelming for people who lack that inner confidence. So it's a small, small, friendly group. And because of that, the spaces go really quickly. So don't miss out on the spaces. Um, Have a look on the website. You can sign up through the website or email me and I'll send you a programme outline um, for your information. Have a good week. Talk to you on next week's episode of Life Coaching on the Move.